So how do you view a 55-3 loss to Utah on the road? Is it just one loss out of seven, just part of the inevitable growing pains of a first-year staff? Or is it maybe a step back because it does mark the worst conference loss in program history and comes a week after Arizona State showed some signs of life with their first Pac-12 win of the season against Washington State? To talk about the present, what we can take away from that game against the youths, the immediate future, the upcoming road game in the Rose Bowl against UCLA, and the long-term future of the ASU program. Is going to the Big 12 next year a successful turning of a page in year two of the Kenny Dillingham era in Tempe? To discuss those topics and many more, I invited the co-host of Speak of the Devils podcast, Brad Denny. So thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get this thing started. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'm your host and devilsdigest.com publisher, Hoda Rubino, and I'm with someone who knows a thing or two or a million about Sun Devil podcasts. I'm obviously talking about the co-host of Speak of the Devil's podcast, Brad Denny. Brad, how are you doing on this Monday evening? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, it's always uh, an interesting time to uh, talk about Sun Devil football, so uh, <laughs> let's dive right in. Yeah, well, I guess we'll get the good news out of the way if... We're going to witness one of the most lopsided losses in program history. It might as well be a day game. It might as well be beautiful weather in Salt Lake City for the first week of November. And that's where the good news ends. And and I guess maybe also the team was happy that they were able to get out of Salt Lake City at at a decent hour because the last thing you want to do after a 55-3 to loss is uh, to get home at uh, 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. A question a lot of fans are asking me for the last 48 hours, Brad, is, was this loss really a setback for a program that was struggling already? Or was it basically, I don't know if par for the course is the right term to use, but maybe something that kind of meets your expectations of where the ASU program is right here, right now? I think it was almost in a way kind of like the the, uh, the bill coming due. Because uh, obviously ASU had done, performed pretty well over the last you know, four weeks of almost getting a win against some quality competition and finally breaking that door down and getting that win. But, you know, we have seen just they're so depleted in so many key areas, none more than the offensive line and then Isaiah Glass's situation. So you're, you're basically you're, you're, uh, flipping your uh, true freshman who's been starting at guard, kicking him out to left tackle on the airplane on the flight over there against that dominant Utah front. And even with Utah, uh, their offense kind of being depleted in terms of you know Cam Rising and such. But I mean, this is still a program that is in year nineteen under Wit. And I think the one thing that really jumped out to me is like this is a year zero, not even a year one for Kenny Dillingham. And so just and then you have all the complications and hurdles he's had to deal with on top of the, all the injuries. And so it just it's almost been kind of you know I don't want to say a miracle that they've been as competitive and feisty as they are given so many. Um, issues with with in terms of the uh, depleted personnel, but you know you, we see the fight. But going up against a program that's also having a lot of injury issues this year in Utah, but nearly two decades into that system and the ingrained, just you know you see the standard that Kyle Whittingham uh, has set, and obviously Kenny Tillingham is really was effusive in his praise about. You just saw those two kind of go head to head, and you know while we saw some glimpses of what ASU wants to be, 
uh, in recent weeks and, you know, kind of the future. Everything I, I think kind of came to a head of just, you know, this is like, you know, the, the dad, you know, say not yet, son, not yet. I mean, this and kind of putting the putting ASU in their place. I, you know, overall, in kind of the big picture, I don't think this is a huge setback or I've seen some knee-jerk reactions about just, oh, this is you know, a low point. This proves Kenny can't do it. I, no, no, no. I mean, this is such a year zero on top of the mounting injuries and a couple more key guys in Matus and Dorba going down, Trent going down on the, the third offensive snap of the game. It was just, I think, the, the perfect storm of just everything awful outside of the weather, of course, as you mentioned. Yeah. You know, I look at the ASU defense, and on the one hand, disappointing that a Utah team that even though is ranked, as we speak, actually ranked 13th after that win against ASU, did not have an offense anywhere close to what we saw with Washington or even Washington State for that matter. And here's a defense that was just running up and down the field for the first two drives, doing actually more in the air than they were on the ground, which was surprising, at least for the first part of the game. Things obviously evened out quite a bit with the ground attack that basically had their way with ASU and then some. But but ASU was kicked in the teeth on those first two drives. Utah goes up 14-0. And then we're seeing the quote-unquote normal ASU defense is able to stifle the opponent. But do you also believe that it was a case where the offense wasn't doing anything after Bourget goes down on the third snap of, of the game and just much like we've seen a lot of other games where the defense can only hold so much uh, when the offense is not really uh, reciprocating, so to speak, that that's why Utah was just running rough shot? Or do you feel maybe there was a, a chess match uh, that was actually was won by, by the Utah offense, which, again, wasn't really doing a whole lot in the air, uh, even when they were, you know, trouncing some other opponents earlier in the year? And maybe that caught the ASU staff uh, a little off guard. And when, when things kind of evened out, uh, that's when they just uh, put the pedal to the metal and just uh, exhibited their very stout ground attack. Yeah, that, the the defensive performance was something that caught that caught was probably the, the most surprising. Obviously, offensively, when you lose your quarterback and you have really no offensive line left to speak of, the ASU struggles offensively were going to be to be expected. The defense, however, you know, none obviously coming off a, just a few days after Brian Ward gets the, uh, I, I still think a very well deserved contract extension w- was kind of surprising. I, I thought that. You know, they, they really did, Utah really did scheme a, a good uh, first couple of drives. As you mentioned, you know, going through the air and just, you know, with the, with the, the pig farmer as they're almost kind of wearing it as a badge of honor, Witt was wearing that shirt afterwards. But, you know, Bryson Barnes had a, had a good game, had a lot of open guys, and there were some coverage busts that we have not seen o- over the first uh, several weeks for the balance of the season by this ASU defense. And, you know, and then, I'll, of course, when your offense is just providing absolutely nothing to help you out. Now, we've seen them kind of hold back the dam as much as they can in games like Fresno State with eight turnovers. But I just think that when there's such a huge difference in terms of, you know, what uh, Fresno State offense uh, can pre- present versus, again, kind of just a big, nasty offensive line um, that gets, you know, traditionally gets stronger as the game goes on like Utah has. And just, the you know, even though they're depleted in the backfield, they still have some quality dudes. And whether it's a converted quarterback running running out there or just, you know, whatever, they were just, you know, showing that they're still, even though they are have taken a number of key personnel hits, that they're still the two-time defending conference champions for a reason, that this this culture, this attitude, this identity has been so thoroughly baked in in Salt Lake City that, you know, once they, you know, they can – kind of maybe get you the, the shock factor of hurting you through the air, but then when it comes down to it, they're just going to pound you. And, you know, losing some key guys up, up front for the for the Devils obviously didn't help matters. But I think, you know, at a certain point, maybe some just uh, some shell shock had kind of kicked in a little bit, and they were just, you know, 
in that second half, knowing that, you know, we're not coming back from this, maybe the, I don't want to say the white flag, because, you know, as Kenny said and, and Jordan, these these guys play hard, even though they were just kind of getting getting kicked around and beat up all, all over that field. But, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, just the, the big brother is, uh, you know, was uh, ex- certainly exerting its will, and even down to the final eight seconds of that game. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you and I are probably in agreement that uh, we don't care that it was our last trip to Berkeley uh, for a long time, maybe ever. But uh, we are happy on the other end that uh, Salt Lake City is going to be part of our future trips in the Big 12. But uh, when when it comes to the quality of opponent, I don't know if that's really an opponent that Arizona State is going to be looking forward to seeing uh, year, year in and year out, although there are going to be a little more gaps, I guess, in that Big 12 uh, conference schedule versus the Pac-12, where you just basically played Utah each and every year. Um, when um, you hear... Uh, what Kenny said after the game. And again, he talked about knee-jerk uh, reaction of fans that were not happy about Kenny Dillingham saying right after the uh, Utah game, we did not get worse today. That basically you, you saw the team that we have, we just did not make plays. And I don't know, I don't know if he really used the injuries as a crutch, but he definitely mentioned that too. And that really rubbed fans the wrong way. And I, I don't think the, uh, message that Kenny Dillingham was trying to convey was, was all that controversial. Um, I'm just kind of curious, you know, on, on your take on that quote from Kenny Dillingham, which like I said, really made a lot of waves after a 55 to three loss. Yeah. I, I think, you know, sometimes fans, you know, after, especially after a game like that, get in their feelings a little bit. Cause I, I do think Kenny for the balance of the season, knowing that he's been hit with so many things and the injuries are such a critical clear factor but he's not really been leaning on that as a crutch because you know i don't know how many times he said you know nobody cares about your circumstance and and so i think he's really smartly and maturely kind of avoided that and just knowing that like kind of the, the old mike tomlinism of the standard is the standard you know if you're down to your fourth string quarterback or you're you have an all pack 12 gunslinger back there i mean you're you're expected to to move the ball and put up points and you know and perform well and i you know it might be a situation where you know you have you know, defeat and losses and setbacks are the best teachers. And so I think from that perspective that, yeah, this is probably a, a team that, you know, just, he got their, got their ass kicked in on Saturday, but going forward, you know, maybe can learn from that and, and grow from that. I mean, you have, you know, just for example, like Sean, Na'a, Kenny was effusive in his praise in, in, in today's press conference about a guy who in a very unenviable, un, unenviable situation, let alone, you know, just playing as a true freshman, but having to kick out to left tackle against Utah, you know, just, uh, you know, hours before taking the, and that's going to be something that hurts today, but helps to to provide for a stronger and, and better future. I think a lot of guys, you know, are put into very, you know, difficult circumstances throughout this whole season, especially on Saturday. I do think that the, that you can look and see that there was growth there, even though the the pain, the sting, the disappointment, the angst that you know that might be there, and especially throughout the fan base of just having your team suffer the worst loss in conference history. Uh, but I think through that you can see, and I think that's what Kenny was going for, is that you can see, you know, some through these, you know, the, these lessons, these losses are lessons, and you know, if that's the case, then ASU is going to be well prepared for the future because they have, they've learned a lot. Yeah, that's actually a good segue to another uh, quote that uh, Kenny Dillingham had, uh, not after the game, but actually in today's press conference. He says that he feels really good about the roster that he has. And he talked about guys like wide receiver Jake Smith and uh, safety Xavier Alford, who unfortunately uh, were not granted the NCAA waiver to be immediately eligible. And really, if you want to talk about significant additions in the 2024 class, 
Uh, there's, those are technically two <laughs> significant additions on, 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 each, on each side of the ball. But the, but the fact that he said that he does feel good about, about the roster, I mean, sure, there are going to be some losses. I'm not talking about so much attrition, but just losses of players that are just exhausting the eligibility. But there really is a lot of talent, you know, coming back. Hard to say who's going to really declare early for the NFL draft, although I would think that maybe realistically there's no one player that's draft eligible that has outstanding film to show that would compel him to leave early for the draft. But I guess uh, in about a month from now, we'll, we'll know the answer to that. But uh, do you feel that the optimism of Kenny Dillingham, you know, not only talking about the character of this team that really hasn't wavered throughout a hellish of a season, but just like the sheer talent uh, that this, that not only the team has now, but will have in 2024, do you feel that uh, Dillingham is correct in his optimism or do you maybe think, a maybe cautious TBD approach in terms of what ASU is going to have in 2024 is more warranted, especially because it's a given that ASU is going to come off one of its worst uh, seasons in program history. Yeah, it's going to be really, inter- really interesting to see, you know, just the, the attrition. Well, you know, obviously we know the guys who are at the end of the rope eligibility wise, but you know, who, who else might jump in? There's always seems to be a surprise or two, but I think what you, when you look at what they did in the last cycle in terms of the, the transfer portal, they brought in a lot of guys that have really contributed in good, meaningful ways. And, you know, some of those guys, unfortunately, like like Jake Smith and Alford, have not been able to contribute. And so those are going to be, I think, some banner additions uh, to next year's next year's team that are going to you know, solidify and, you know, getting their feet wet here and in, in, in Tempe, learning the systems now, and they should be able to hit the ground running. Uh, but, you know, a number of other guys, you know, all throughout that are playing key roles in offense and defense, um, that I think have provided a really good foundation. And if you get a good amount of the, the kind of the core contributors from this year's roster, some of the younger guys and, you know, the, maybe like the Bram Waldens of the world are able to kind of take those steps forward, and especially now that the path is clear for, for Walden in particular. But amongst many others, I mean, we've seen like the emergence of a guy like Tate Romney, you know, coming back home and some of those guys that, have, you know, are, have multiple years of eligibility. And that, that's obviously the big, uh, uh, you know, selling point of the, the portal. And I really was really impressed with their, uh, their approach, you know, they're obviously key, like one and done guys like Sean Mallory have, but, have paid off handsomely, but the guys with multiple years, I think that's how you help build the foundation. Obviously with the, uh, the cap lifted again next year and, and for the years forward, you know, this is going to be another, you know, impressive haul. And he talked about the offensive lines plan, A, B, C, D, and E and F. Uh, and so obviously you've seen, I think, a very obviously a very incomplete picture of what this Sun Devil team could be in terms of just the injuries. Your starting quarterback goes down. Your offensive line has never been healthy. Uh, so many, um, just so many key areas that just have not been able to get a complete picture. But through those glimpses, and it's almost kind of like a puzzle piece or a, a puzzle. You're putting pieces together of this key guy, this key guy, this talented guy is coming back, and this guy is going to become eligible next year. I, I you know, I, and obviously what we've seen since the portal arrived that significant uh, one-year overhauls can commence. And so if you're going from, you know, what I think is a year zero to a year one with kind of almost a, the benefit of a, of a second uh, transfer portal class hall, I think, uh, yeah, I think he's not, I don't, he's not off base. Now I think there's going to be a ways to go to maybe get to can, championship con, con, contention in the big 12. But I think, you know, being able to kind of, you know, get rid of the, uh, the bad taste of, you know, uh, a two, three win season uh, this year that that road's not very. I don't think that's that road's very far at all. So Kenny Dillingham says, when when it rains or pours, he said it today in today's press conference. He talked about the mounting injuries, how so many players are playing hurt. But uh, another thing that he mentioned, not so much in direct correlation to that quote, 
that uh, the UCLA defense, the defensive fraud, or maybe even the front seven, he said, is the best that it, that he faced, you know, going back to his uh, Oregon offensive coordinator stint uh, last year, and uh, including this year, that this is going to be the best front seven that it, that he has faced all year long. And after facing Utah, that is definitely really, really high praise. And uh, UCLA, I think, when you look uh, for, as a defensive uh, surprise, I think uh, that's uh, probably, you know, first and foremost uh, in, the, in the Pac-12. On the other hand, uh, UCLA's uh, starting quarterback uh, room is just as a, just a mystery like like ASU's. And I don't know if they're really going to have a, a suitable uh, solution there come, come Saturday night. But uh, just, you know, from your initial look at, the, at this matchup, I don't know if this is really a bounce back opportunity for Arizona State, but maybe also because as stout as they are defensively, the Bruins haven't been really clicking all that much on offense. And I think this ASU defense, more than anything else, really wants to redeem itself after giving up 55 points. Well, what's your initial uh, observation or uh, uh, prediction on uh, how this game might unfold for ASU in the Rose Bowl? I'm thinking there might be a better chance of of the of seeing a game on Saturday that I thought we'd get last Saturday of kind of an ugly low scoring, you know, maybe high teens, low twenties type of game. Because as you mentioned, you know that that front is well, UCLA is fierce. You know, Latu is going to be a first round pick. The Murphy twins are are, are been pretty incredible. You know, the the, uh, the uh, job that the new DC has done. You know, I believe he's 34 years old coming over from the Ravens and kind of reviving that defense has been pretty remarkable. And, um, you know, but yeah, you switch over to the offensive side of the ball and just like, hey, see, you know, Garbers was down. I, I don't believe he was at practice today. Uh, you know, Dante Moore, the, you know, the rookie or the uh, freshman phenom who got benched, uh, you know, he uh, also left injured. Uh, Colin Schley, you know, came over from, I believe, Kent State. He's been kind of, you know, running that, like the kind of uh, the, just as a running uh, quarterback gimmick. So, I don't, it's going to be real interesting, but obviously they they got a, a stable of uh, pretty uh, accomplished backs and, and Carson Steele and, and uh, T.J. Holden, some some receivers with size. But I you know I think this could potentially be a little bit of a, a muddy situation. And one thing I, I, I one area that I do think ASU has an opportunity is uh, with the pass rush. You know that's something that we were not able to kind of affect the game uh, against Utah as they had all year. UCLA had some big time pass rush issue or pass protection issues. Uh, against Arizona and in recent weeks. And so obviously two quarterbacks knocked out of a game is going to be uh, illustrating that point uh, very well. So I, I do think that this could be a situation, even if Dorba is not able, able to play that, that this pass rush and maybe, yeah, with that kind of chip on the shoulder, like, you know, just kind of ticked off that they give up 55 points. They were looking for redemption. You know, Brian Ward, I'm sure is not pleased with the, the situation of, you know, getting that extension and giving up 55 and 350 on the ground that he might dial something special up for whatever quarterback is, is behind center for, for UCLA. But I, I do think, you know, that the ASU's offensive issues and, we don't know. We'll, you know, we'll see at practice, you know, what, what the shape this offensive line might take if they get anybody back. But it could be in for a long night, and I think both offenses could be in for a long night. This could be a an ugly finale at the Rose Bowl uh, for in this series. And, and last question, Brad. I don't want to be one of those guys who's already jumping to 2024, although I'm probably not going to be in the minority if I do that. But <laughs> I'm going to blame it on the Big 12. They, they went ahead and on November 1st, didn't waste any time. The schedule format is right there. The reality of ASU being in the Big 12, I think, hit everybody on a whole different level when you see Kansas State and, and Cincinnati uh, in a familiar Oklahoma State opponent, which is kind of weird to say, uh, on, on your schedule. 
But do you feel overall, Brad, that uh, this is maybe a good opportunity just to turn the page and maybe in year two of Kenny Dillingham, and like I said, maybe some will call it actually year one if this is year zero, is it you feel like a good uh, timing for ASU to go to Big 12 conference, which I don't want to belittle without even experiencing it at least for one year, but was it also your vibe that it just kind of seemed less daunting not to see Oregon and Washington and the LA schools uh, over there on the schedule, Washington state, you know, which, you know, can sometimes surprise. Did it feel like, you know, you know what, I think ASU, ASU got, got, got this big 12 and even though there might be some growing pain still in 2024, maybe it's a more comfortable environment to experience those growing pains rather than the PAC 12 in 2023. I, I do. I think, you know, the timing is great because, you know, when you look at the Pac-12, you have some legitimate national like and historical blue bloods. Like you got the L.A. schools, you got the Washington, Oregon, you know, teams that have been just nationally relevant. And the Big 12, I, I think, is probably the most parity of any conference because, I mean, you're losing Texas and Oklahoma. And then who's like the big national brand? I mean, every year they have somebody, you know, pop up, you know, Kansas state's always saw TCU showing what they can do and kind of making a run, but you just don't have those like kind of, you know, a tier S tier type of teams. I mean, you have a lot of good quality uh, across the conference. I mean, you look at Kansas who was a perennial doormat and now they're exciting and uh, you know, ranked, but you don't have those like, up that upper crust you have a lot of you know good solid filling i guess if to continue the pie analogy and i think that also helps asu kind of if they are able to continue their success with texas recruiting which obviously that should take up take off even further and if they can uh, keep samples in carrington in the fold for another year or two that should only just really kind of help that acclimation process but i do think that asu you know should be the path to contention and you know uh and dare i say you know maybe down the road with this expanded playoff you know getting a, a that path through the big 12 versus, you know, had a pack 12 stay together. But, you know, if the, the path in the big 12, I think it's going to be, you know, more favorable and, and conducive uh, in the long term because I just think that you have a lot of pretty solid programs. I mean, Utah might be the best team in the, in the big 12 next year and for the foreseeable future. Cause again, they're near 19 of the program and they're going to be, that is so ingrained there in Salt Lake city and the highest respect for coach Witt. Um, so, you know, that might, their newcomer might be there. And because obviously I don't think that any of us see, think that Colorado is going to be, uh, you know, under the, the Sanders, uh, control for too much longer. Um, but so there's a, you know, I don't, you know, I, it's just, I think it's wide open. It, it's great. It's going to be great to experience a lot of new places and form new rivalries and new experiences. And it's going to be, I think just overall in uh, avoiding just the, the never ending drama of, Pac-12 refs or Pac-12 network drama, <laughs> media deals and commissioners who have no idea what the hell they're doing. <laughs> just, I mean, you might have a cutthroat commissioner, but at least he gets the job done. At least he has some foresight. I mean, so it's going to be a real interesting and refreshing change of pace, I think, both on and off the field for the Sun Devils. Well, my biggest fear, Brad, is that because they have not going to have more teams in the Big 12, they might have to, by default, bring some referees from from the Pac-12 so I, yeah. I, really, I hope the commissioner is more savvy than that and uh, we'll just find refs anywhere else in the country but uh, the good old bit, uh, Pac-12 because uh, I think all of us uh, had uh, just about enough of that but uh, Brad as, yeah. as always uh, thank you so much for coming on I appreciate your insight uh, tell the fine folks that are listening to this uh, podcast where they can find you and what do you have coming up on your podcast this week with uh, my man Joe Healy 
Yeah, so uh, Joe and I are going to hit the studio uh, next uh, tomorrow and, uh, yeah, talking about what the hell happened in Salt Lake City <laughs> and, uh, you know, what ASC can do to kind of rebound against a, a beleaguered kind of Bruins squad now coming off of a loss to Arizona. We're also going to be talking a little bit about basketball. You know, the hoops tips off uh, on Wednesday. The, the ladies are underway right now uh, as we're uh, talking. Uh, all in our TV show on Arizona's Family Sports Network, uh, Thursday at seven thirty. Yeah, seven thirty. Sometimes we get we get preempted by the Suns. I guess that's okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's seven thirty this week, and then a re-air on Saturdays at ten a.m. as well. Uh, you can catch us there. It's con- different content, so you know, for for all you folks, um, you can catch us on the podcast and uh, and on TV. Okay, Brad. Well, thank you so much. I will see you at practice. I'll see you at the Rose Bowl. Have a good one. Sounds good. Thanks, Ode. And that'll do it for this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'd like to thank again my guest, Brad Denny, co-host of Speak of the Devil's podcast. And aside from our regular pregame content leading up to this weekend's contest at the Rose Bowl against UCLA, as Brad mentioned earlier, ASU basketball uh, is in action. Uh, The season is going to tip off on Wednesday against uh, Mississippi State, a neutral site game in Chicago. And we are going to have our season preview of this Sun Devil squad, talk about the different components of this nearly brand new team that returns only three players and what can we expect for them in the 2023-24 season. Also, this coming Wednesday is going to be the beginning of the early signing period in college basketball. Arizona State has two four-star commits, has a recruiting class that is ranked in the top 20 nationally. So we're going to do an overview of uh, those newcomers that are going to join the uh, Sun Devils for the 24-25 season. So as you can see, uh, no lack of news coming your way uh, this week and really the rest of the month as well as we have the overlap between football and basketball taking place. So to make sure that you're in the loop, not missing one iota of your Sun Devil news, make sure you subscribe today at devilsdigest.com. We would love to have you part of our Sun Devil fan community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.